I don't know if you heard the story. They were completely out of time. Many were saying that the whole thing should have been over. I'm not sure anyone had any hope left. You know I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, right? <laughs> out of time. Whole thing should have been over. No hope left. And then the equivalent of what they call in football a Hail Mary took place. No one imagined he had that kind of strength, one with more power than anyone would have ever anticipated. And that was the reason for the exuberance and the shock and the surprise and the rejoicing when it was all done. And so there he goes. He delivers something that everyone would agree was the prized possession, delivers it into the hands of Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And I don't know if Zechariah raised his hands and said his name shall be called John, but it was a wonderful thing. When I was sitting on the couch watching the Packers accomplish a Hail Mary just a little over a week ago, I just laughed and laughed and laughed at what I saw. I just could not believe it was true that Aaron Rodgers had thrown a football that far to Richard Rodgers when there was no time left on the clock. It was an untimed play. And they score a touchdown, and they win the game, and I'm sitting on the couch, and I can't stop laughing. We had had guests over that night, and so I was watching it late. Beth was in bed, and I'm in the living room, and it's about midnight, and I am just laughing and laughing, and I can't stop. Just the wonder of it and the hope it gave, there may be a future for the Green Bay Packers. Time was out as far as Zechariah and Elizabeth were concerned. Time was over. In verse 57, the text tells us that when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, and you almost read it and you say, you're kidding, aren't you? It was past time. In fact, time had long gone by for Elizabeth and for Zechariah. Zechariah knew better. He knew that the clock had ticked down and everything was over. Luke tells us that they had been unable to conceive because they were very old. Zechariah tells it a little bit more eloquently to the angel. He says, I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. There is a smart husband. Not only was he smart, but he was righteous. He loved God. He longed for his promises to be fulfilled. And although Elizabeth and Zechariah were infertile, there was a righteousness that was a part of their life that was commendable, so commendable that it was noted by Luke in the story. And the angel announces, appearing there in front of Zechariah, that God wants to give this righteous man even more than he has. He wants to give him more. He wants to give him a son. He wants to give him a life with his son. He wants to give him the opportunity to watch his son grow up and, and live in a way that brings glory to God. But he wants even more than that. The angel announces that God wants 
Zechariah's heart to be filled with joy. That's what he wants. For this righteous yet pragmatic man who would say, I'm just looking at the world the way it is. Don't tell me what I don't already know. He was deeply aware of what life was like and he expected nothing to be different than the trajectory it had already been on. And the angel says, essentially to Zechariah, something's about to happen. There is good news of great joy on the horizon. Good news. You see, the angel didn't merely want Zechariah to have a son. He wanted him to have a life filled with joy. I want joy. I want joy. To laugh on the couch because of what I just witnessed with the Packers and the extension of hope it brought over a game is pretty cool, and I still laugh about it occasionally. But I want the kind of joy for the real wonders of life, for the things that connect with my life and the world and God, not a mere NFL game. I want the kind of joy that engages my heart and my mind and my soul and my life in a sense of rejoicing and wonder and hope. I want the joy God intended for me when he sent Jesus Christ to earth to be the Savior of the world, that there might be peace on earth and joy to the world. I want that joy. I want to sit on the couch and have it just come to mind and for me to do a fist pump about what God has done and the hope it brings. Do you want that? Do you want that to be true for you? God wants us to be characterized by joy. Not the kind that says, oh, I'm happy you just can't see it. It's deep inside. There's way down in there. It's the kind that people notice and it just spills out. Not all the time, but people are known as joyful people. God sent Jesus to earth so that joy could be part of every life. Chapter 1, verse 14, the angel says about John, he will be a joy and a delight to you, but not simply because you're having kids. He will be a joy and delight, and many will rejoice. Many will rejoice because of his birth. This isn't simply Elizabeth having a child. This is Elizabeth giving birth to John, who points the whole world to Jesus. In verse 58, it says, Her neighbors and her relatives shared in Elizabeth's joy. It's not just for mom and dad. It's for everybody around them. In verse 64, when Zechariah begins to speak, he begins to speak praising God, and all of the neighbors around him were filled with awe. In chapter 2, verse 19, Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered 
in, them, in her heart. And she writes this song of joy and rejoicing so that there might be joy on earth for everyone. You see, what you want, what I want, God wants to give to the world. It's a joy that transcends pleasure. C.S. Lewis said, you know, there's this thing tried called pleasure. And C.S. Lewis Chronicles says, man, I tried it. In my earlier years, I tried it. And you know what I found out about pleasure? As soon as the pleasure was over, there was, a, there was an incompleteness that was still there. He says, uh, pleasure is, is um, like finding a pleasure is like a, a man dying of thirst being offered a mutton chop, C.S. Lewis said. I don't want the mutton chop. I'm thirsty for joy. And C.S. Lewis says, that's what God provides and that's what God wants for us. So when was the last time you laughed with joy, you cried with joy? How often do you find yourselves smiling over something that transcends a football game or a basketball game? How often does that happen? Is it happening more or less in your life? What's the trajectory of joy? The angel says to Zechariah, I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And here's the problem. Zechariah couldn't see it. It's not that he was a bad guy. He was just simply pragmatic. He was, he was righteously pragmatic. And he says, I've done the calculations and there's no room for that. He wasn't a bad guy. He was just incredibly pragmatic. And God says, but you missed it. There is good news for great joy. And he says to Zechariah, time for a nine-month time out. And he says, you will not speak again until you see what I do. Until you, you see it. And the next words out of Zechariah's mouth, they're words of rejoicing. It was a nine-month process. It was a discipline that God gave to Zechariah. And here's what it was about. Joy doesn't require God to do something new. It just requires that I see what's true. Joy doesn't require God to do something new. It's just that I learn to see what's already true. You see, it's possible for us to say, isn't it? I could have joy if this would happen, if that would change. And that's not what happens in this story. The angel says, you know what? You're going to just... Be speechless so you can see what's already true. I think that's what God wants for us this morning. For us to find joy, not because there's a promise that something new will happen, but there's a certainty that something true has already occurred. There are times when we can't see what's already here. So what happens for Zechariah? In verse 23, he returns home after his shift is over. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And for five months, she re remained in seclusion. There they are, Zechariah and Elizabeth in their house together. 
And what happens during that time? Oh, we know. I'm sure Elizabeth said a number of things, but there's one thing that she must have said over and over and over again. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. That's what Zechariah heard over and over again. The Lord has done this. The Lord has done this. The Lord has done this. He has shown me his favor. Watch Zechariah. Watch what I do. Watch that I approach my children and I show favor to them. It's the way I have always been and I always will be. I am a God who favors my children. How can I cultivate joy in my life by being reminded again of the favor that God has already shown to me? And the favor here isn't that he just likes me or considers me favorably. The term for favor here means he does supernatural things. He does life-changing things. That's what favor is about. It's not a measure of his opinion. It's a demonstration of his power. We see it in Elizabeth becoming pregnant in verse 25, in Mary being with child in verse 30, in verse 36, this recognition, they were unable to conceive and it happened anyway. God does miracles and then in verse 36, there's a statement that if you haven't underlined any phrase in the whole of Luke chapter 1, underline this one, for no word from God will ever fail. Some of your translations, nothing is impossible with God. That's what he does. He shows favor. No word from God will ever fail. Two weeks ago, we talked about God being a God of hope. Guess what? He will not, never fail to put hope into your heart. God is a God of peace. He will not fail to bring shalom and flourishing into your life. You seek him, he will provide it. Joy. God will not fail to restore joy to your heart that you and I might have those moments where we just want to raise our hands in the air and shake it and laugh out loud because of what God has done for us. And this is the first piece of it, that God shows us favor. And my discipline is this, to look for those places where he has already done it. You know, I remember when our daughter Kate was young and my longing for Kate was that she would know that God was real. And so we did a little prayer experiment. I said, what would you like to have? And let's put it on the list. And I wanted her to know that God was real. Go ahead, pray for those things, and then let's watch God respond to it. And you know what? God did it in extraordinary ways. Surprised me, by the way. I'm supposed to be the pastor that knows this stuff already. I was startled by what God does. But this is not one of those moments where the action point is for you to leave here this morning and ask God to do something and watch what he does. No, the action point this morning is this. Leave this place and ask God to show you what he's already done. How he has already worked in your life, in the life of those whom you love. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Don't look for a new one. Life is filled with demonstrations of God's favor to us. And I just need to be reminded again that it's true. That he is the one that has been good to me. God favors his children here and now. My mom, just before she died, she said this over and over again. You get towards the end and you say the important things most. And she said, she said over and over again, she says, God is always on time. God is always on time. When I can look back at the ways he has shown me favor in the past, and he was, he was always on time. 
He shows favor to his children. And when I remember that's true, and when I have a record of it, I can live today, and I can do this. Yes! He will be on time. And I can be sure of it, because that's how mighty he is. It's another aspect of this, and it is not merely that uh, Elizabeth says, in these days he has shown me favor. She goes on and she says, and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now there's a reason for joy, to have the disgrace, the shame removed. And this is what God does. The disgrace here is not merely about a medical condition that they were infertile. It went deeper than that. It was simply, boy, I got a medical problem. It was, in that culture, a sense of that God must be cursing me. That's kind of what the prevalent thought was. If you've got that problem, it's because you've done something wrong and and God is very unhappy with you. And the shame that just would flood over Elizabeth's life, not just simply because people were saying it out there to her, she felt it in here. I mean, part of it's true, isn't it? Which of us is perfect, right? Which of us doesn't have lists of sins that we hope nobody ever knows about us? I wonder if you might take that a time. Sit down and write them out. Go ahead. Write them out. Acts of rebellion. Ways you hurt people. Things you made. Decisions out of selfishness. Pursuits that you found yourself buried by. Write them all out. And the ones you can't write out, just write them in the air and no one will see them. And then remember this, that God sent his son into the world to remove any sense of shame about those things because God decided that he would die for you because of those. That's why he came, to erase it all. I'm reminded of the woman who was caught in adultery during Jesus' earthly life. These gentlemen, these men, not gentlemen, bring, bring this woman up to Jesus says, she's been caught in adultery. What are you going to do with her? You're the one who talks about how good God is, and you're the one who say you're wise, and, and, and what are you going to do about this? How can you be truthful and show love at the same time? And you all know the story. He bends down, and he writes in the ground. We don't know what he wrote. And then he says this. He says, anybody without sin, you go ahead and throw this first stone. And the, it says the older, wiser, those who had a track record of knowing how many times they had missed their own standards of what was right, walked away, and no one is left. And Jesus looks at the woman, and she says, where are your accusers? There are only two possible accusers left. Jesus, and the one who could accuse her, decided instead to die for her. That was the only accuser left of two. One was Jesus, and you know who the other accuser could have been? her and God says there are no accusers go and live your life the joy of being able to know the choices one has made that have wrecked things in life and to know that they still, that I, that you still matter to the Father and to the Son and that your shame is gone away. 
Maybe what you need to do when you leave this place is say, God, God, remind me that there's no more shame because I'm yours. And the joy and the exuberance that comes and says, I, I, he forgave me. He, he, he took it off of my shoulders. It's not true of my life. And then finally we see here the possibility of joy and that is because God gives to his children a future. We see it in this story with Elizabeth. She has a future. She now has an opportunity to be mom to this person who would point uh, to Jesus. And we see it happening for Mary who could have lost any future with the pregnancy that she had. And she's given this remarkable future that she sings about. And we see it happening for Zechariah as well, too. The joy that would be in his future along the way. And then there's this curious comment at the end of the text where we see this comment about, jo about John. And it says this, What then is this child going to be? He will be something. He has a name that's not congruent with the name of his family. He's going to be distinctively different even in the family heritage that he came from. He's not in that line anymore. He has a new and distinctive name, and he has a future as well. And the reason why he has a future, the text says, is this, because the Lord's hand was with him. What a fortunate guy. He has a future because the Lord's hand is with him. And then I go back to this book and I realize that God says to all of us who choose to follow him, the Lord's hand is with you. The Lord's hand is with his children. And you know what that means for you and me? I've got a future. I have a future that I can wonder about and marvel regarding and it doesn't matter where I am in life because apparently you can be so old nobody thinks you have a future and God still gives future to those. God sat Zechariah down so he would know this, that God shows favor and works in the lives of his children. That God shows forgiveness and eliminates shame because of what he did. And God gives a future to those who choose to follow him. Now, if I can't find joy, it is not because there's none to be had. It's because I need a time out. Joy to the world. God wants it for every one of us. We're going to stand and sing about that in just a minute, but we're going to stand in sequence. Remember? It's decision-making December. And sometimes it's helpful for our hearts and minds to tell our body where we're headed. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to that. And before we're done, all of us in this room are going to stand. And here's my question for you, my invitation for you to stand. God has been described here as strong and as merciful and as near to his own. Jesus came to earth and he wants to be part of your life. Uh, joy is something that we all seek. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to stand, and I want you to stand if this is uh, a, a, a true 
of what the longing of your heart is. And I'd actually just like to close your eyes because you, this isn't about what anybody else thinks of you. I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm gonna, uh, not yet, but I'm going to ask some of you to stand because you want to say to God, Lord, give me eyes to see that you favor me. I need to see it because I don't see it now. Give me eyes to see that you favor me. Some of you, I'm going to invite you to stand because you say, you know where the joy is missing for me? I need eyes to see that the Lord forgives me. And then there are others of you that I'm going to ask you to stand because you're saying, Lord, I need eyes to see that there is still a future for my life. All of us want to cultivate joy and God wants to give it. And it comes in various ways. So I want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you, for those of you that say, I'm asking the Lord, give me eyes to see your favor. I need to know you favor me. Would you stand now? For those of you for whom you would say, you know what? I need to know I'm forgiven. Lord, give me eyes to see I'm forgiven. Would you stand now? And then others of you say, I need to know I have a future. Would you stand now? God, I thank you for the joy you can bring to our lives and for the longing that's a part of every one of our hearts to have what only you can provide. And so we worship you now together in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel.